You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is A.D. Pinar. He is a serial entrepreneur. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the work he's done scaling multiple businesses. We're going to talk about some of the insights and work that he's done building teams around these businesses. I always find that you know building the right team is key to scaling a business, regardless of, of what type of business model you're operating. It's key to make sure that you've surrounded yourself with the right people, particularly at the senior level. Uh, and certainly for service-based companies, this is even more so. You know, Finding the right people for service companies is, is key to growing and scaling them successfully. So with that, Adi, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So you've worked with many different companies. You've founded several different companies. Why don't we talk a little bit about your history and background, and then we can talk a little bit about some of the insights that you've had in building these teams, building these companies that could be helpful for our audience. So let's start with the background. Give us a little bit of the story. Yeah, so high-level uh, you know, pitch. Um, I'm not the best kind of hype man for myself, by the way, but high-level pitch here is that I've built and sold two software companies in the past. The one was WooThemes and WooCommerce. WooCommerce today is the biggest open source e-commerce platform in the world. I exited that business in 2013, subsequently kind of stuck in that same space of e-commerce, built another business called Converger, where we helped e-commerce brands with their email marketing automation, was fortunate enough to sell that in August 2019, Spent some time with the acquiring company last year, took a little bit of a break, and then got stuck into my latest venture called Cogsy, which is, again, in the e-commerce space, building uh, you know software that helps e-commerce brands make you know, kind of better purchasing decisions with regards to their inventory. And then I think kind of you know, throughout kind of, you know, or almost the... Alongside those entrepreneurial ventures, I'm also fortunate enough to have recently published my new book called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. And I spent some some time, at least part-time, mostly to keep my, myself sharp, but coaching other software and SaaS founders in terms of how to kind of build teams and think about kind of product as they also grow. Yeah. And so tell us about the book. I mean, what prompted the book? What inspired the book? How was it writing? Were you a natural writer? Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah. So I'm an impulsive writer, Bruce, which basically, <laughs> which basically means like getting writing 80% of the book was absolutely perfectly fine you know, to me. And then the last 20% turned into a 15, 16 month project where I really needed a team around me and to have experienced people come in and say, you know what, AD, this is what we need to do to truly make uh, you know a proper book out of this. So like for anyone wanting to write a book, the the first part is generally easy. The last twenty percent is is uh, excruci- <laughs> excruciating. Yeah, exactly. um, but yeah, so 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 the book Bruce really you know comes from 
you know, part of my learnings across, you know, going from my first business to my second business and very much or closely related to how I think about teams and other people. And the, whilst there's probably many routes kind of into the genesis of the book, like the two most prominent ones was really firstly kind of my life fell apart at one stage about five years ago, just as I got stuck into my second business where I realized that this very kind of narrow pursuit of building a business that is just financially profitable wasn't good enough because what I essentially kind of realized at that stage was that along that journey that had been financially very successful, kind of alongside the road, there was so much collateral damage, so many different kind of life costs that I had accrued because I was just so narrowly focused. So the idea of life profitability is just kind of expanding that definition of financial profitability that all of us understand and saying, you know, how can I build a business that is not just financially profitable, but actually profitable in this more kind of broader sense of the word. So that's the one path. The other path really was around kind of how I think about teams and kind of how, you know, the dynamic within teams constantly evolves right from you know five and 10 years ago. And specifically, you know, one of my biggest learnings from my first business to the next was this notion of culture and the team culture isn't kind of, if you don't do something about it, like proactively and you know purposefully, like culture is still there, right? I have a, a great friend and mentor, uh, Jason Cohen, founded a company called WP Engine. And he says like, you know, culture happens to you like regardless of whether you know it or not. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, you have a culture like, whether you know it or not. Yeah. But precisely. So, yeah. so with the kind of going from that first to second business, I really wanted to kind of, you know, have, you know, be proactive about the culture that we had as a team. And it's through that pursuit like from day one that we eventually stumbled into some of the kind of the, almost the kind of the precursor ideas, the predecessors to what eventually became Life Profitability. And we at one stage said we're a life and family first you know, company that evolves being Life Profitability. But those two kind of both my kind of personal experience and then this dynamic, this evolving kind of almost collaboration that I had with my team as we kind of also figure out our path, like really led, led up to the writing of the book. Yeah. And when we curious how you measure kind of profitability at a broader level because I, I think this has always been a challenge yeah i mean whether you're talking about um you know kind of whole whole life success or whether you're looking at you know kind of b corp triple bottom line companies you know people that are more companies that have chosen to have specific mission driven goals and objectives is you know money is quantifiable it's measurable it's fungible i mean you can you can do lots of different things with it it's it's easy to kind of measure success with money but when we start looking at these other goals and how we measure success, like how do you keep score? How do you make sure, or how do you, how do you know whether you're winning in these other areas above and beyond the financial aspects? Yeah, that's a, and that's a great question, Bruce. I, I think part of what I at least proposed with the book is that we actually get away from trying to measure all these things, right? Because the easier things to measure in life are those things that can be quantified. And hence, I think we've gravitated towards those things because it's much easier to kind of you know say, yes, I'm making progress or no, I'm not making you know, progress and I need to, tweak the plan to make progress in those things. But that, like having a measurement neglects those things that are harder to measure. You know, measure. So what I propose, at least in the book, and the way I think about it is to, to really start thinking about if I had to define my own life portfolio, like what are those things that I would put in there? And one of the things for me is I would totally put that ambition and professional kind of or drive, whatever that is in there, a professional endeavor, whether it's a company or something else, like that goes in there. And there's a monetary component to that, whether it's kind of your know, immediate financial profitability, long-term wealth, regardless of which words I want to use, that's in there. But then I really want to start making sure that those other th- you know, things that are important to me are also in there. So for me, that ranges from anything to kind of my family and my home life. Those are my highest values. I know that those things need to be in place, right? To 
kind of you know character traits. I think things that are specific to me, as examples, my thirst for learning. I need to learn new things. I need to be challenged. Like those things need to be in there. And then on the other side of the spectrum, not probably not not that important, but like somewhere in that life portfolio, I need to make time to geek out about and drink yeah. some wine, right? Like that's a hobby about you know for me, right? So and I think the key thing, like most of those things can't necessarily be measured. But I think what is important there is that we at least like firstly raise that awareness that those things are important to us as well. And that we start building some kind of feedback loop into the system uh, where we say, you know what, if my full life portfolio looks like this and all of these things are in there, like which of these individual kind of components or stocks thereof am I neglecting? Like which needs more investment, whether it's time, energy, focus, presence, money, but literally just being aware of those things. And to that extent, you know, these things are, I think they're highly personalized and unique. And I think just having that awareness and almost getting closer to ourselves and what our highest values are, like that's probably the way to figure out, like, am I making progress? Am I truly honoring like all of these things that that I feel, inherently feel, right, and believe are important to me? And I'm curious, like you listed a couple of different categories or different areas that, you know, for you make up kind of a full, whole life, you know, balanced life. Are the categories the same for most people, do you find, or is, is part of the work to be done actually figuring out what that means on an individual basis? Yeah, so I, I definitely think that it, this is highly unique and personalized to every one of us. I think, you know, when I set up to write the book, Bruce, I, I really did not want to write, firstly, a how-to book or a book that even pretended to have this perfect blueprint and just take these next you know, seven and a half steps and it's going to accomplish X, Y, Z for you. Yeah. I think that the key thing here is for all of us to be that unique individual that we are, right? Because inherently we are. And then to go and say, you know what, like what really resonates with me? Like which of those values are, like of these things are truly important to me? And I do think that there is probably a, like a framework or guidance, like I like one of the I like to at least reference. I don't think it's the kind of the, the the oracle in a sense, but you know even if we look at you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's a it's a model, it's a framework that's stood the test of time in the sense that like we still reference it today, even though it was created years ago. And I think like you're taking a model like that and saying like what does this illuminate in my life? Like which parts of it are kind of is neglected or is getting more attention than you know it probably needs. So like the kind of model you use to illuminate those different parts of your life, I don't think that is as important. And many of us will thus have overlaps. I think you know what Maslow at least proposes, right, is that like if you don't have food, then like you can't think about self-actualization. Right. Yeah. So to that extent, like we all have similar needs, but the way they kind of manifest in our lives would probably be very kind of different and unique to us as individuals. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's that has always been a challenge for me as you know, as I kind of coach people and, and help them not only be successful with their business, but also, you know, ultimately have that business serve them personally and ultimately kind of achieve what they want to achieve in life. If they haven't done that work to figure out what really is important to them, it's it can be really challenging to figure out anything else <laughs> because if they, if they haven't figured out like, okay, well, yeah, these are the things that really matter for me and this is what's going to motivate me, inspire me to do you know great work and, and work harder and put in the effort and be creative. Like it, it can be a real kind of kind of empty win, you know, to achieve all these things in kind of just the business side, but then realize that I haven't, I haven't really figured out what's meaningful in the, on, in the other parts of my life. Exactly. And, and I think like the, this whole idea of building a business or entrepreneurship or making money, creating wealth, like it neglects that question, right? Which is what is important afterwards? And I would kind of, I'm a big believer, and this has been the case for me, right? Like money itself has never been the end goal. 
like money has always been just the next step to whatever is on the other side of like receiving that money, right? Whether it's to grow the business, whether it's to go on holiday, whether it's to buy a new car or, you know, upgrade one's house, like whatever that is, that's the important thing here. Like the, the money is just a mechanism. The building the business is, you know, just a mechanism. Scaling from $1 million to $10 million a year is just a mechanism to ultimately get you something else. And I think that's the clarity that kind of most people are are lacking, which eventually leads to, you mentioned that like either that empty win or they build this massive empire and they realize Hey, this is not what I wanted at all. Right? This this was the wrong building to you know to try and build. This is the wrong empire to try and build because it wasn't aligned with what I was really after, which was likely something totally different. Yeah, I'm curious if if you had your book before you founded or started your first company, how would you do it differently? Like in retrospect, yeah, I would probably ask myself you know, kind of many many of the tougher questions much sooner. I think you know in the, the last. I haven't read many business books, right? I, I truly understand how many authors go through specific experiences and they try and share those experiences and then they almost retrofit the things that happen <laughs> exactly. to support the narrative of the book, right? Post-hoc so, justification, yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? So I, I'm conscious of that. And I know that even though that, that wasn't what I tried to do with my book, I'm not 100% sure that my journey up till now would have been completely different, right? I do think that there are some things, at least, that I would have changed, right? I mean, I, at one stage, when we still had, like, with, and with Themes, we, even though it was an international kind of, you know, business with an international team, it was founded in Cape Town, South Africa, and we had an, we had an office, when it was still really, really cool to have fancy offices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would go into the office, Bruce, and I would be there first at yeah. 7 a.m., because I like that first you know, hour or two when the office is quiet, and I would often leave at 7 p.m. And I did that kind of all the way, like, after my first son was born. And one of the reasons that I did that was we also had an Xbox in the office, and one of my other hobbies that's definitely part of my life portfolio, and it's the only game that I play is I play FIFA, right, and soccer, or football for uh, those Europeans, right? And we played that in the office. So I, it wasn't like when I was there 77 in the office, I was not being productive for 12 hours. But in doing that, like I, there was some part of that narrative where I had almost tricked myself and said, you know what, I'm at work, right? That's okay to be at work. And I think it's like if I revisited many of those things, if I was able to in kind of granular detail to revisit like every single day of kind of my, say, 15, 16 years as an entrepreneur, as a kind of you know, someone that's built businesses, I would probably find many of those things where I would have said, you know what, this does not serve this life portfolio that I'm trying to grow. This is not that important, you know, A, or, you know, this is not that important right now, or it doesn't require this much investment or this you know, much sacrifice. And I think that's, for me, that probably the biggest change that I would have made. And I think it would have manifested as small changes rather than massive changes. Yeah. But again, then we get into that kind of compounding effect of if you make, if I had made several of these smaller changes, like what could have happened? And honestly, like I, I don't know, right? And that would be me completely speculating. But again, I think that making those small changes, showing up every single day as a slightly better version of myself, I think that it would have compounded to, to something positive. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think most of the time, both my own reflection and, and with the, the founders, CEOs, leaders that I've worked with, as we kind of reflect on on a lot of those things. It's, I think it's similar in that I don't know if we do anything a whole lot differently, but we certainly wouldn't worry about things nearly as much. Because <laughs> I think a lot, a lot of it ends up just being the emotional energy we put into some of these things and how, you know, we'd still go down the same path probably. We just have a lot more fun and just not get nearly as, you know, worked up about certain things. Yeah, totally right. And I think like the, 
for every kind of driven individual, whether it's in business or elsewhere, I think that ability to manage your own psychology and thus your own experience of the journey, yeah. that is probably what is both the hardest thing to master, but probably has the biggest kind of payday if you manage to master that. Yeah, exactly. And tell me, I mean, as you kind of looked at your own kind of choices and, and as you kind of accomplished things, both on a business and personal level, and as you've worked with other leaders, do you find that once you are a sort of a driven, goal-oriented kind of person, is it hard to kind of balance kind of the business and the personal stuff? Or is it just as easy to be driven and focused and oriented on the personal things as it is the business things? Like, is this about just spreading this energy, you know, in all areas of your life or really kind of figuring out a new energy balance or allocation across things? Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess part of our breakdown there, Bruce, is which closely relates to my thoughts on just work-life balance, right? Where, like, I think the idea of work-life balance, for example, I, I don't think it kind of does what it says on the can, right? Which is, because it proposes that work and life are these totally independent, separate yeah. things, and that it can keep each other in balance. And I actually think work is just part of life. So I think when I think about, you know, how, how that plays out in my life, I'm not generally always going to be more energized, right, to spend time in my business compared to doing DIY at home. Simple example, right? And I don't think that, I don't think it's viable at least or sustainable for me to say, you know what, like I will apply the same energy in the same way that I do in my business to DIY stuff that I need to get done at home. So I don't think that works. What I tend to think would, for me at least, works is to acknowledge those things and as it is, right? And, and knowing that this thing doesn't energize me as much as this other thing, but then starting to think about that kind of interplay and the flow between different states or dif- different spheres in my life. And I think that's how one, you know, both builds up that natural kind of energy and the flow between these different states and spheres and creates the least amount of friction going from those things. So I think like every single thing in our life probably deserves a different kind of energy. We just not need to figure out like, you know, what best moves us from kind of this energy that we're feeling in this state versus kind of a different kind of energy in a different state where we need to serve a different part of our life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that kind of philosophy. If someone's listening here and feeling themselves, you know, out of balance, stuck, or at least, you know, just fe- feeling like they're they're not really getting everything they want out of you know, the, the journey that they're on, you know, you're, I think there are a lot of folks out there that are, get very driven about running their business, very focused on achieving the next level in the business. But if they kind of suspect they need a little bit more kind of bigger picture thinking on this, what are some of the steps that they can take or what's kind of the process you'd recommend for, you know, helping somebody get a higher level of awareness around some of these things? Yeah, I think uh, kind of for me, at least versus, and again, like I stumbled into this. I was you know, totally forced into this. I mentioned yeah. that a couple of years ago, about five years ago now, my life completely fell apart. And I, like, I literally kind of got to the point on the edge of a cliff where like everything was burning you know, down or about to burn down. And yeah. I like had a ther- you know, therapist to help me understand all of that. And I think the kind of the ideally, like everyone would avoid that, right? Because that required a kind of a hard you know left turn on my part. And it was only through... I think the kind of the the luck and you know grace of others really that I managed to kind of you know put out the fires and rebuild kind of the bridges. And I think the key thing to to answer your question there is to I think to avoid that one just needs to kind of literally take a step back and start seeing kind of the forest for the trees and vice versa. And when I say take a step back, literally kind of reevaluating like like who you are, like what you truly value, like what are those things that you would consider your your highest values. And then start taking stock. Like, how does that relate to how your life is is currently manifesting itself? And I think, you know, part of that 
I think all of us should at least acknowledge that this notion that you know, our economies, capitalism as a kind of a, a model of structuring our societies, all of those things are kind of, you know, human made things. And we all acknowledge that humans are imperfect. So these systems that we've all bought into, they have their flaws. The only challenge there is like mainstream media keeps perpetuating the success stories, mostly success stories of these systems. And we're constantly reminded by that. And I think like in that exercise of taking a step back, like being still, being with yourself, even if it's you know, uncomfortable, identifying what your true values are, we're probably going more to our individual kind of nature, right? Instead of having, and, and finding a narrative there versus having this kind of human-made, kind of almost global or universal narrative dictated or kind of told to us. So like that's that's probably where I would start, like figure out what your values are and figure out like relatively kind of to where you're at in your life, like how are they yeah. kind of playing out or, or, or not playing out there. Yeah. I'm curious how you've you've kind of uncovered, discovered your values over time. Is this, have the particular kind of work or exercises you've done or experiences that you've had or how, how have they kind of become articulated for yourself? Yeah. One of the most, I would say almost most significant kind of unlocks that I had initially as I started on this path, was a book called um, The Values Factor by Dr. John DiMartini, I believe the author is. And he essentially has a questionnaire about 13 questions. Anything from like literally like directly, like what would you consider your kind of values to be versus kind of you know, look around you in your office, like what are those things that are there? So trying to figure out, because many of our values are like we sub- go subconsciously manifest them. Like we pay attention to things in a way where we spend money on things that probably represents at least part of our values, right? So 13 kind of your question list. For anyone that's keen, I don't want to kind of uh, tank Dr. Johnny Martini's book sales here. The book itself is, is long and he, he does a great job of drumbeating the same or similar concepts throughout the book. I didn't get through the whole book necessarily, but that kind of 13 question, you know, questionnaire really helped me to start thinking through, you know, in that moment, if I had, if anyone else said, hey, AD, what would you consider your values to be? You know, these are those things. So that was, I think, the first thing. And then the second thing, you know, is really, and this has evolved over time or, or had a kind of evolving kind of impact on the way I think about my values, but it is being in partnership, right? So both with my wife, we have two young boys that are nine and six, right? So the way we think about our family values and how like her values, my values, like personal values play into that, like that's been interesting, right? And in the same way, when I built my team, like how those individual values and kind of how they get contributed into this kind of melting pot of different things and the alchemy that happens there and then what that says about all of us. So like, I think that's the other part, like actually just having those conversations, right? About those people around you, whether they are like a spouse, a partner of some kind or team members, business partners even, but having those conversations saying, you know what, like, why do we do these things we do? Why do we kind of gravitate to X, Y action or feeling or opinion when, you know, ABC pops up? Because those things would kind of, again, I think it's about just raising our awareness and starting to build the vocabulary about, like, how would we think about kind of our values, our culture, if it's, you know, within a kind of team setting. Yeah. And do you feel, I'm kind of curious, as you've 
figure out how to balance this energy between work and other aspects of your life or, you know, life overall, you know, not just your work. Is this a, a, is a zero sum game or does this, do they feed each other? Like if you, if you can figure out how to, you know, drive, create that kind of energy in your personal life and whether it's your relationships, your friends, you know, family, others, you know, does that feed the business side or is this, is, is this, uh, I've got, I only have X amount of energy to deal with and I've got to figure out how to allocate it across the system. Yeah, so um, I definitely don't believe it's a zero-sum game. I think the the whole idea of kind of you know anything or most things in life, at least business, I don't think is you know zero-sum game either. I for anyone that kind of wants a much more eloquent kind of reason for why that's the case, Peter Diamandis wrote a book called Abundance, um, yeah. which kind of really I mean I I never previously felt because I come from the kind of my first company we built open source software. So it was always a case of like I you know needed to understand how to monetize something that is inherently free for anyone else to copy and give away themselves. You know, so like it was kind of shaped by that experience. But then Peter Diamandis' book Abundance really kind of poured fuel on those flames. So the way I I think I would kind of communicate that to most people, Bruce, is simply by saying it: when I am kind of a, a happy entrepreneur in my own right as an individual, then I also show up as a better leader in my business, which means that the team and the business itself is likely to do better. And I think, you know, in a similar way for everyone on my team, if I can figure out like, how do I create the kind of team environment, the kind of culture that promotes their individual life profitability as well, that also means that they're showing up as better versions of themselves. So I do think maybe it's not a kind of a, and it probably isn't a kind of one-to-one kind of ratio here like i put one in and i get one out or some other thing but i do think that it isn't zero sum in the sense that i have to sacrifice x and you know hence i can can gain y i think there is a way of saying you know what if i firstly honor myself and i you know become a kind of a, a healthy you know version of myself healthy across the spectrum like physically and mentally emotionally then whatever i put out in the world should pay dividends in some kind of way that's not just linear effectively yeah and it's um i think it's one of those ones you you kind of have to trust it for a while <laughs> before you start yeah. seeing the returns it's not necessarily uh you know by the end of the day you're gonna get the return but um yeah i, I certainly find that you know if i can kind of create energy and and flow in different parts of my life that it does feed into other areas it, it makes it makes everything easier it makes everything you know reinforces and reinforces the system yeah so tell me a little bit is, what do you do on a regular basis to kind of keep this balance going to kind of figure out if you need to rebalance any habits practices sort of disciplines that you put in place to monitor this as you go yeah so i guess like one of the initial things that i got like a big part of you know big influence in the book as well and a big part of my journey was getting into mindfulness so for the longest stretch i meditated on a daily basis and simple kind of 10 to 15 minute meditation and i don't meditate as often anymore but i still i think what i what meditation taught me is it exercises that muscle of mindfulness so i do that differently right now i meditate more in an ad hoc way where i feel like hey the, the world is starting to get, get a kind of away from me a little bit and i need to center but kind of the other things that i do instead of meditation is I often in the mornings, I would write some form of morning pages, might just get all of this crap that sometimes in my head, just get that out in a way that doesn't need to be eloquent, right? But get it out there. So I don't have to worry about it. I think that's one thing. And then the other thing that I often do is I, I, I use running and I, I'm able to when I'm really focused on it, at least, which I know is a it sounds like a contradiction for anyone that has read anything about mindfulness or new meditation. But when I'm really focused on running, I can I can actually use 
the running as a form of meditation as well, where literally just you know doing something simple like focusing on kind of left foot, right foot, and actually counting those steps helps just kind of just cleanse or clean the mind a little bit. So so those are things that I that I use, and then. I also like the idea of having tripwires in my life. So I, I really rely on my wife, for example, to tell me, you know, hey, you look really stressed. Like, what's up? Or, hey, you're being, like, the last day or two, you're being really short yeah. with the kids. Like, like, what is up? And I've learned to not act defensively when I yep. hear those things, but to instead be inquisitive and say, you know, wait, hold on. Maybe you're on something. Maybe there is, because that's the biggest thing about meditation and mindfulness is we often act in a way where our action and our experience is divorced from what is actually going on, you know, inside of us. And taking that step back, becoming aware of that, even if it is, you know, by a prompt from someone else, like that's Jimmy, that's kind of the, the biggest you know, win there is just saying, hey, hold on. Yes, there is actually this thing. It's been playing on my mind for weeks. I'm really stressed about it. And I realized that I'm taking it out from you guys at home. And then I can act proactively again. Then I'm not just on this autopilot mode, kind of, you know, hamster on a wheel running, stressed about this thing, but I can actually change my behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I find those tripwires can be so powerful. Like if you just get a little bit of feedback on stuff, because, you know, it is, it's like you're just bringing all the baggage from the rest of your day into those interactions and, you know, getting short with somebody has very little to do with them. <laughs> it's mostly to do with you and your mindset and what's going on in your own head. Yeah. Excellent. Eddie, if people want to find out more about you, about the book, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so um, best way to, to kind of, you know, find out more about me, and there will be links to the book, is uh, my personal website, ad.me, that's ad.me. I'm, I'm on Twitter as well, pretty active there, at ad there. And otherwise, if you just kind of, if you don't care about everything else about ad, then you can just probably find the book is on, on Amazon, both as a paperback and as a Kindle version, as well as all or most other major retailers internationally. Great. I'll make sure that the links and everything are in the show notes so people can get that information. Idiot, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.